Today, I chat with Bruin alum, Savannah Gardner, about her amazing journey as a change maker at UCLA and beyond. Struggling with food insecurity, Savannah began to see her struggle from a new perspective while taking a UCLA food justice class. Through the UC Global Food Initiative Fellowship Program, Savannah in turn was able to take substantive steps to help other UCLA food insecure students. Keep listening to hear Savannah's story and her insights on finding one's path in college. So anyway, Savannah, thank you so much for being here. What a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Wendy. It's yeah. odd being on this side of the microphone. Being, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Not being behind the scenes. Right. I mean, you're the one who really helped kick off this podcast in the production side of things. So it only bodes well for the podcast that you get to be interviewed. Sure. I'm you're, the, you're the muscle behind the original idea. So um, I'd like to open up our conversation with your story of how you came to UCLA. I know you just graduated just about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And what was your journey, you know, to get here to this wonderful university? Sure. So uh, I was born in New York. I'm from the Bronx. I moved here when I was nine. Um, I went to public school on the East Coast. My mom remarried and moved to Los Angeles. She moved to the San Fernando Valley. And I started in LAUSD, uh, the highly gifted magnet. I moved to middle school in the Valley. My mom's separated from my previous stepdad. Um, Then we moved to the west side of Los Angeles. And then I ended up going to a private school on the East Coast, a boarding school to Phillips Exeter. And then that was my first kind of taste of... um, how the heck did you get to Phillips Exeter from <laughs> <laughs> the west side of Los Angeles? Yeah, that's, um, you know, they came to, this is like why tracking is a, a real thing. They came to our, uh, the dean of a different private school came to our school, just talked. And I could get out of science class if I got a signed note from my mom saying that uh, I could go to this dean of somewhere, you know, oh, far so away that I didn't know. You did it. Yeah, I forged her signature and I went to... <laughs> the dean's or the dean's talk and then I was like oh this is like an interesting private school I was kind of pursuing alternative high school options anyway there's like the Cal State LA program with like an uh, you take your GED essentially to skip most of high school so that was an option for me or maybe pursuing a non-traditional route anyway so then this kind of came up and then I just picked a couple of schools applied and Ended up in New Hampshire, and then by the end of my time there, I applied to colleges. I came back to Los Angeles. My family was a big pull in that, my mom and my three younger siblings. And then five years later, I'm here. I'm graduated. Very thankful of everyone that got me here, including myself. And throughout that time, I kind of got involved in uh, food justice and environmental justice and environmental racism and learning about my place in Los Angeles, really learning to appreciate the city for all its good and its bad. And being a change maker in that. So mm-hmm. that's how I'm here. That's and I've worked for HCI most of the time. So <laughs> campus initiative, Samuel Hull, right mm-hmm. on. So, um, you know, what were the challenges that you faced along in that journey? It sounded like one one was not a challenge that you just sort of landed on this opportunity that took you to New Hampshire and your to your high school years. Uh, but what what did you face that were facilitators or challenges? Sure. So I included my the part of my life where I went to New Hampshire because I think that was a me being in boarding school, this very elite school, coming from a low-income background with a single mom and three younger siblings, um, growing up on CalFresh and 
which is um, California's food stamps. There was a lot of dissonance that I felt there, but I was kind of at a point where I really wanted to assimilate to this and like kind of hide my, where I came from. And then I came to UCLA and I was kind of carrying that. I always worked. I always helped support my family. And I took a food justice class here at UCLA where I learned more about the systemic reasons why families like my own end up in situations like my own. And I think that gave me a lot of solace and empowerment and being able to feel like I was a change maker in my situation, you know, as opposed to feeling like I had to hide that I supported my family or had to hide where I was from, that if anything, it made me proud uh, of it. Yeah, proud, mm-hmm. more proud of myself for being there and proud of, mm-hmm. yeah, my mom and my siblings for going through so much with so little, but still being on the other end of it. And being loving mm-hmm. and a family. Yeah, and still doing our part within our community despite it. And I think I needed kind of that juxtaposition in order for me to have really appreciated where I come from, um, as opposed to, I think, a lot of folks, because of the situations we're in, like, want to hide it or you don't, you know, there's a lot of shame associated with being poor. But through this, my experience at UCLA, I was really able to kind of harness it and use it um, as something that makes me inexplicably me as opposed to a part of me that I'd rather change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And accepting of mm-hmm. that. So it's interesting, I think, you know, of course, during a developmental stage in high school, everyone wants to belong, right? Of course. And so you ended up in a situation where you were more different than some of the other people in your class, or maybe not. Everyone might have been hiding something <laughs> that was fit into that, uh, into something that didn't didn't feel like it was assimilating in, you know, or being mm-hmm. uh, equivalent. So in in your sort of journey of, of this realization, how did you, like, how'd you find that? I mean, it sounds like you learned about food justice through this great summer program, right? And we're, we're going to get to some of that, what you've done with that, which is such so um, empowering and so admirable. But in terms of that, realization was it just like one moment it was a ha ha or how did it how did it evolve I know it's it's hard to know because it was in real time but, mm-hmm. um, and then now it's retrospective but of course I think that part of it did kind of originate in high school when I was you're given a lot of autonomy in a boarding school which is I think good and and bad and challenging yes it could be yeah. <laughs> challenging for but you didn't get kicked out so, no which is probably close. yeah <laughs> no. I mean that's a huge badge of honor yeah. these days in these <laughs> schools yeah I'm very grateful for the opportunity because it gave me one of the opportunities was to really see myself in that space and find myself and like find friends that you know a lot of us came from the same background and really finding solace in other people and other women there and having like mentors or femtors that where really wanted us to graduate, right? That was having people that really wanted to cultivate. Rooted for you. Yeah, rooted for us. And having that when you're away from your parents, especially like I wasn't, my mom had a lot going on here. You know, she was having a, a newborn and a three and five year old or a four and six year old at that time. So that was, I think, kind of the first part of it for me where I really had people in my corner. So it sounds like that would be a piece of advice you'd give others if they found themselves in the position you were in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I've, for a lot of reasons, I've had the privilege of being tracked in my education, of being like in a gifted program or being selected to go to the a public school or gone into UCLA. But that's, those are the kind of things where if you find your environment there, that does 
and those people that do root for you there, it can make all the difference, especially when you're questioning, you know, your place there, if you have right. imposter syndrome or whatever it may be. So I think that was a, a big part of it earlier on. I think a lot of it, um, the challenges were associated with my socioeconomic background. You know, I worked at least 25 hours a week. I really had to kind of section my life around how I could work, how I could support myself and support my family. Financial aid is great, but there's a limit to it. Rent is high here. So there was kind of that necessity I had, but also the essential part of my being here was also needing to embrace myself and me being a student and taking this time for me. Trying to find a balance of the two was one that took a really long, I'm still in that balance, but you know, or trying to find that balance. But I think that really happened here at UCLA and being able to see that I can do what I need to do for me as well as my family. And I could have both. Like I could have my cake and eat it too, even if I got to pay bills, you know? And I think that I was really lucky that I had support systems and jobs that allowed that flexibility. So I'm, yeah, that challenge I think is probably going to be a lifelong challenge for me, but I think it really kind of crowned and I started to understand it more, much more during my time at UCLA. Mm -hmm. Well, I had the chance to observe you and you really did do a great job balancing all of that. And having first met you when uh, you were in the food justice class and learning about the work you did with Food Forward I feel that you really embrace and and take on opportunities as they come your way in a in a very I think not only productive way but uh, imaginative. And so I'd like you to give me a little bit of background or or, or reflection on and explain what, first of all the Global Food Initiative and the and the fellowship that you did with them and what that led to. I mean, you you identify that as a big turning point in your sort of own self-realization of of acceptance mm-hmm. yeah I really did kind of have a moment where like one class changed my life I had gotten um freshman year I had gotten an offer for an internship in DC for the summer but I didn't get as much money as I had needed to be able to they could pay for like part-time stipend and I couldn't swing that um in order to send money home and I was kind of at this point where I was like oh god what am I gonna do for the summer you know, how can I kind of find that balance and further myself, but also make some money and make sure I don't have to worry about the fall. And um, a friend just kind of, a friend actually from Swipe Out Hunger, which is a student group here that addressed food insecurity among students primarily, but also just the greater LA community. And tell me a little bit before you get go on with mm-hmm. your what's Swipe Out Hunger, just so people understand. Yeah, so Swipe Out Hunger is um, a national organization that started here at UCLA. Its um, primary goal is to address student food insecurity uh, in a sustainable way, primarily through using campus meal plans and repurposing the leftover meal plans that are already paid for for folks in need, primarily students in need. So kind of the student helping student model our chapter here at UCLA also um, kind of did more traditional outreach of general awareness among the student body, helping in research. We did like big events like Sandwiches for Smiles, where we'd make sandwiches um, that would stock the food closet here on campus, which is a anonymous come in, come out, exactly what it sounds, a food closet. Where you mm-hmm. can just grab what you need. Um, so you were already involved in some sort of form of alleviating hunger for your peers Mm-hmm. and others. Yeah, and I, I really had a moment in kind of um, at the same time that I had chosen not to take this internship because of my own financial security. 
was kind of the same point where in Swipe Out Hunger, I had originally joined Swipes because I had been a part of um, working with people experiencing homelessness in high school. I thought it would be a great thing for me to continue in college. Really loved it and made me feel like I was bridging a gap of the inequities that we have in society, but on a personal basis. And I love that. So I joined Swipes and Swipes really, although we went and worked at soup kitchens or worked with folks experiencing homelessness, it was really about alleviating student food insecurity and being able to name that, you know, move from, oh, I'm serving someone to actually my, the club is serving people like me. Like I'm going to the food closet and I'm receiving these meal vouchers that we collect was really difficult. And it kind of happened at the same time where I was introduced to this food justice class. And I was having this moment where I was like, maybe I shouldn't be in this club. You know, like if this club is supposed to be serving people like me, why, you know, why should I be here? Why do I deserve a seat at this table? And obviously I stuck with it. I moved through that. End of freshman year, I signed up for the class on food justice. They had a paid internship as part of the service learning class where um, this dual part model where you learn about an aspect of society or social inequity, and then you also serve within it. The Global Food Initiative under President Napolitan also paid the first cohort, which is why I was able to do it. I'm very grateful for that. She actually, that Global Food Initiative paid for three cohorts. For three cohorts? Uh-huh. So three, for some, well, three summers worth. Not necessarily the paid internship part, but the other, the class itself. The class itself, yeah. I mean, that was, that was a perfect example, for, like model for me later, in that if you want people from the background that you're serving, you have to incentivize and make it accessible for the people that you're serving. That's so right. if you want food insecure people to take this class and learn about their own community in Los Angeles, then you have to take away the stress of applying for summer financial aid and That's right. um, find, you know, finding dual funding for this internship, right. for the class. Um, yeah, so I kind of at the crowning where I was learning, I was really trying to see whether or not I fit into Swipe Out Hunger. Or I felt like a fit. I always fit, but it was hard Yeah, feeling like I... You were questioning yourself. Yeah, questioning whether or not I was the person to do the work. And then I took this food justice class and, you know, we're learning about CalFresh and WIC and sustainable food systems and food apartheid and all sorts of stuff. And it was very interesting for me to finally feel like the situation was flipped, you know, when we start to talk about food assistance and what people, what access people have to food assistance in the city of Los Angeles. I could describe what WIC was to the class because my mom is on WIC, which is for women with infants and children. It's um, like a select meal program for mothers with children under five. And pregnant moms. And pregnant moms, yeah. yeah. So, you know, like being able to take that initiative around this table of 20 really bright people and being like, oh, I, I know what WIC is. Like, this is what it is. And these are the problems with it, you know. And this is, I can now name that inequity. You know, like on WIC, you you don't have a lot of autonomy. There are certain criteria of things you could buy, right? So you could buy like 24-ounce cereals or in total 64-ounce of these certain types of cereals at these certain stores um, that accept WIC. And being able to describe that frustration of not being able to buy the cereal my family would buy if we had the money to without WIC and being able to be given the space to talk about that in this circle and also have other people build off and share their own experiences or have folks who never experienced that ask questions about it, you know, and ask why is this the way it is, um, was really a turning point for me and understanding, like, I'm great because I made it here and I deserve to be here. And I'm really grateful for having that experience much earlier on than a lot of folks do when they come to college, especially, like, first-generation students. Mm-hmm. 
And so t- tell me about your internship with the food, food Forward. Yes, which was the one with your food equity class that summer. I really wanted to work with Food Forward, but it was the farthest one. And I took the bus, so there was kind of that accessibility factor I wasn't sure. But thankfully, the person I was paired with had a car. And um, I just kind of made it work when I couldn't get there with him. And we got paired. So it's an LA-based gleaning organization that centers around three main gleaning platforms, which involves using produce that would otherwise go to waste and repurposing it for folks in need. So there's the Backyard Harvest Program, which gleans from local orchards, people backyards, really community-centered. You have volunteers come to someone's backyard to glean this 40-year-old orange tree that's been sitting in the middle of Brentwood since before the house was built, right? And so that, that those oranges don't go to waste. Maybe that family can't doesn't have the capacity to eat 200 pounds of oranges, but and can't, doesn't have the capacity to glean them themselves. But you have volunteers come, collect that, and that goes to a local food insecurity reduction organization. Or you have the farmer's market gleaning program, which is what I worked with, which goes to local farmer's markets and has a, a relationship with farmers where the farmers donate their extra produce from the, like, two dozen farmer's markets in Los Angeles. I see you guys at the Brentwood one every Sunday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, we're there. Um, yeah, so, and then the last one is the wholesale produce um, market, which goes to kind of the big shop downtown at 3 a.m. where Ralph's would buy their produce from or Vaughn's um, and gleans the excess produce from that. And that's on a millions of pounds scale. Um, the f- farmer's markets are on anywhere from like 500 to 2,000 kind of pound scale that's gleaned so that we would collect at per the end day. of one. Yeah, per wow. market. And then the backyard harvest really depends, uh, but it's normally on a smaller scale unless it's like a larger um, gleaning of an orchard or something. But yeah, I got placed with Food Forward and they needed help with their farm, farmer's market recovery program doing outreach. And I really loved their their model of being a middle person organization where they see this excess that would otherwise, this produce that would either go back to compost for the farms or go to waste or go to like chicken feed. And then these people in Los Angeles that, you know, the city has a huge food insecurity rate and high social inequity. So being able to bridge that gap of the best produce that we could get in Los Angeles from these farmers markets and being able to give it to the people who would have the least access to it. And it's a really wonderful experience. You just go and to the farmers market and talk to farmers and have them fill up some boxes and collect them and weigh them at the end. And then you get to see the organizations pick them up at the end of the day. So I spent a summer interning with this with Food Forward and learning about the farmers market recovery program. And then I was approached by the Healthy Campus Initiative in conjunction with Kathy O'Byrne, who ran the food justice class, um, asking if I would like to further this program and bring it actually to campus and be able to glean produce for food insecure students. And so this was also kind of like the a situation where I was like, I could get paid to do something that I really like. Awesome. I'll take it. I don't really know what's going on, but I'll take it. And it was a fellowship. It became a fellowship under the Global Food Initiative, which was President Napolitano's uh, initiative to feed the world sustainably and equitably by 2050. And we were starting in our own backyard, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. yeah. So the fellowship really focused, you know, people, there were researchers that have been working on like the effects of climate change and food um, for years to people like me, you know, sophomore students, 19, that were just working on a local farmer's market trying to feed families that they went to school with and everywhere in between. Yeah. And I'm really grateful for having that fellowship support me in that and being able to be exposed to either end. And you, you were in that fellowship for two years, right? I was. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, the example of you picking up your 
experience with the food justice course and really being responsive to the requests, you know, that we had for you through Semel and Healthy Camps Initiative to really bring it to life over the course of now four years, really. Mm-hmm. It's been tremendous. It's a real asset because you you identified something that was really useful and then you partnered, as I remember, with Tyler Watson and and brought it to our graduate student housing and mm-hmm. here to our food closet and to Cafe 580, which is a nonprofit that serves our population here at UCLA and graduates as well, right? Mm-hmm. And feeds them. And one of the things that is striking to me that really came to light in your sophomore year was this myth that students in four-year elite universities like, like UCLA aren't food insecure, that everyone is food secure. And the data rolled in early on in the in your sophomore year that showed that indeed there's some real challenges that we have on our campus and up across campuses in the United States. And it sounds like part of that might have been the fact that we didn't know this is because people weren't sharing it, it sounds like. But now, are you finding now that since that data rolled in and there's more attention to this as a challenge that people are more open and less shameful of their experiences or I sure hope so situations yeah yeah I think that it is changing like the food closet here at UCLA started in 2009 kind of post-recession so did a lot of our other economic crisis response teams um, 580 cafe opened up kind of at this turn where there were so many more students that no longer had support possibly from their families right if they were going through some part of the recession um but that, I think, brought to light that this has always been happening and there's always been food insecure students at elite colleges. And now that there you know, are diversity initiatives or initiatives that get folks from different socioeconomic backgrounds or this, this slow buff up of financial aid, that more students started to come here and find and really make their own communities here. I think people have been talking about it if they've had the support too. you know. Food insecurity happens at higher rates and different depending on what community you're from, depending geographically where you're from. It can look different. And I think people were sharing it, but not on a scale that it currently is. Right. You know, now it's, it's. I think people are always sharing about with people that they felt comfortable and supported with. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's, you know, you can have these high level meetings where someone's like, yeah, I'm food insecure and this is, or I have been, or I'm on CalFresh. And you're talking about it with people that maybe you aren't as comfortable with because it is coming out more in the open, I think is the barrier that is being broken down after the food insecurity study come out. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, here at UCLA, we actually had a a survey prior to the UC-wide survey that Mm -hmm. I feel uh, was helpful to us to then dive into more deeply a focus group sessions that really brought to light sort of more personal experiences of food insecurity that Hannah Milan and Tyler Watson Mm -hmm. ran and What's striking to me is that, you know, when I shared it with the more senior administrators here at UCLA, like the VC of uh, research at the time was just so saddened by it that he offered funding from further research to help support the understanding of why this is occurring. And, you know, what's interesting is that the data, if you look at it, the majority of students are, are food insecure probably associated with their economic circumstances, uh, family circumstances. Mm-hmm. There is a percent, though, and we found it also in the um, focus groups, 
of students that probably are food insecure because of, of not having the food literacy mm-hmm. to prepare food, or even those that are food insecure from a financial point of view need that kind of component, which meaning, you know, learning skills to actually prepare healthy foods on a budget. Mm-hmm. And how, what is, what's your feeling about that? I think that both are really necessary and able to be able to see the entire spectrum of food insecurity and seeing that it doesn't just look one way. It's not about not having food. It's not about not having enough food. It's not about the type of food you eat. It's all of it. You know, it's all of the above. It's how to cook it. It's everywhere from where you get it to how you dispose of it. Like all of that encompasses someone's food security. I think that the really interesting part that came out of those food focus groups um, that Hannah and, and Tyler did Students didn't necessarily feel supported in learning those skills here at the university, before the university, uh, depending on where they came from, um, and didn't really feel like they had an avenue that they could harness those if they wanted to. Right. Um, So thankfully now we're going to have a teaching kitchen. mm -hmm. Uh, It was something long and hard fought, but we got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think UCLA is doing um, a lot to ensure that we are kind of working on those short-term and long-term goals of addressing all the whole spectrum of food insecurity. Yeah, and um, you worked on that too with your CalFresh initiative. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about that. Sure. So the first year of my fellowship under the Global Food Initiative was specifically to really structure this program sustainably and efficiently for a food forward program from the farmer's market to student housing um, or to students. And we actually had a, a round table with the chancellor where it had students primarily from the community itself, so food insecure students, but also food insecure students that were change makers in kind of these first conversations or large scale conversations about food insecurity on campus. Um, so like students with dependents and students from Bruin Shelter, which was UCLA's first sponsored student run homeless shelter for other students in Los Angeles, um, came really had a, a round table with our chancellor and were able to kind of share some of the things we're working on. And it was a uh, very enlightening for me in that moment when we had that round table, it made it really clear that I could be really, I could tout what we've done with the cleaning program, bringing thousands of pounds of produce to students with dependents and family housing in the food closet. Um, but ultimately, this is a short term, if anything, the shortest term solution. Yeah, right. it's really alleviation or right. poverty alleviation or giving you someone food. So we wanted to bring it to the next level, you know, like people are having their lights turned off, you know, or going to school and having to stay in the library because they don't have heating or they got an eviction notice, you know, that there's the oranges we bring on a Sunday, one Sunday a week, um, although they do a great job, they're not addressing that disconnect, right? So we started to move forward with enrolling students on CalFresh and having our CalFresh initiative. So that's the SNAP or the food mm-hmm. stamp program. Yeah, it's a mm-hmm. supplemental nutrition assistance program for the state of California. Um, so students are able to qualify. Um, it's kind of like a sliding scale depending on how many dependents you have and how much money you make. Um, but students are eligible and not a lot of students knew that they were or know that they are eligible. There are, of course, eligibility requirements, but we thought one, the next step in really giving people the autonomy to buy what they eat and having a longer term solution of food insecurity would be establishing CalFresh um, and working with the Department of Public Social Services. Yeah, and I, there was a really great article that featured you in the Daily Bruin here, our daily UCLA newspaper. I want to say a quote about what you said in that article. You said, if you are food insecure and not making ends meet, 
CalFresh gives you the option where you don't have to take loans out for food or go to a place that's too far from campus. We're just trying to break the system and let students know that's there. And it was only 1% of students are enrolled in CalFresh at UCLA, even though 42% are reported to be food insecure throughout the UC system. So that means that, of course, 42% are necessarily eligible, but there is some need there that isn't being met clearly. Mm-hmm. That was kind of our, our first step in really seeing like who would be eligible if we tried this on campus. You know, could people get $194 for food in a month, you know, which may not sound like a lot, but when you're already struggling to make ends meet, that's that could be the difference of more meals a week. That could be the difference of you know, being able to cook something that's like culturally relevant to you and what something you want to eat when you're right before you study in the library all night. So we started having these kind of CalFresh fairs on campus by word of mouth. I was helping enrolling students out of 580 Cafe um, before we had this kind of really more established program. Um, but we were working with an MSW or a Master in Social Welfare. And how, where are we now in the percent of people that are, it was only 1% that were enrolled couple years ago so where do you do you know where we are I'm not sure where we are now that's the UCLA CalFresh initiative has really grown exponentially in the last year and a half so we hope that it's higher Mm -hmm. at least yeah but we have you know we have hundreds of people coming out to the fairs over the course of the year um are are applying mm -hmm. yeah we have 40,000 people right and campus kind of across disciplines ish and then we have 42 percent of them are potentially food insecure, right? So it's about 20,000. And even if 5% of those food insecure people on campus, you'd have 2,000 more food secure people on campus. And that would mean healthier communities on campus. And more people are eating, the more people would be happy, more people that are eating what they want to eat um, when they can would make this campus a better place for everyone and more equitable in that way. And I think that's really why that was so important to our initiative. Yeah, I mean, what strikes me so profoundly, and I'm going to do a uh, plug for a TEDx talk that I featured your story, (laughs) because it really, to me, says so much about somebody who has the capacity to turn something that could be challenging into something so positive and working towards bettering not just uh, your peers' lives, but you've had great impact, I think, across across California being a real model for other students and other UC campuses. And I'm just curious because in the TEDx talk, I talk about like what it takes to perhaps have better well-being um, after graduation, citing this Gallup-Purdue survey that um, identifies that people who find professors who care about them or or a mentor who encourages them, or engaging in an internship that allows you to apply what you've learned in the classroom. I feel like those kinds of of features in your four years at UCLA, you did all of that. You found you found like the Kathy O'Burns to inspire you, and you did this internship. Did you ever think you would and you would end up where you are now? If you were to look back in time, what were your expectations when you first arrived? Yeah, I thought I was going to be a marine biologist, and I thought I was going to work on a boat and dive with sharks. That was kind of my goal. Since I moved to California, I really fell in love with the Pacific Ocean. And 
having my course at UCLA really showed me that I have a different purpose and that I really have the responsibility to address the inequities that we have for families that look like mine and families that don't look like mine and being able to do that in a way that's holistic and with love and care. Mm-hmm. And that's where I am now. And I'm really grateful for that. It took me a long time to get here, but... What were those challenges? You you, know, you laughed, so I'm sure... Yeah, I mean, you know, it's something that I think we're oddly told that, you know, from a young age, like, well, you know, you're asking someone... I asked my little sister, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm like, she's six. I don't know what I want to do. Why am I asking her? You know, uh-huh. we have this one track and... Or we're taught to have this one track and veering from this one track can be kind of hard, especially in college when you're like, you think your major is so important to what you do for the rest of your life, you know, or you're wondering if this is, this is it. You know, I have to make all these decisions right now as if you don't have a lifetime ahead of you, God willing. So I think I'm, that was hard for me. And then also being able to kind of grapple, like being a first generation student, especially from a low income background, like you have that expectation where you have your whole family to lift up to. And so kind of grappling with like, okay, well, like I still want to buy my mom a house so that she doesn't have to work till she can any, you know, for whatever reason, but that I want to do that in a way that is oriented in community justice. And that can be kind of hard sometimes, but making like seeing that those are my priorities. And just like I had to find the balance before I, I can find the balance again is really important to me. And so what would you give yourself, your your freshman self and advice, what would be the advice you'd give yourself? Oh my gosh, there's so much advice I would give myself. I think I would tell myself to not worry so much. About what? I think I spent a lot of times worrying whether or not, I mean, rightfully so, worrying worrying whether or not I had a place here, you know, whether or not what I was doing mattered, about my family, of course. And I think that Sometimes the university community and and just the way of life on a quarter system can allow you, you know, can kind of foster that worrying. You know, you got to test tomorrow, you got work the next day, you got this and this to do. And I think I could have enjoyed a little that time a little bit more than I did until I did start to find kind of my rhythm and my purpose and that balance. I think I also would have told myself to ask more questions earlier on. Just to people I admired, I think especially coming from that perspective, you're like, you have this professor that's amazing, you have a like a femtoy that's incredible, or you have someone that you haven't met yet, but you want to, and that could be kind of intimidating. And there are a lot of people that I lost opportunities to just being able to like thank them or for talking or being able to ask them more questions that, you know, if I could have done that experience over, you know, ultimately, what time I got to lunch didn't matter as much, um, or whether or not I thought I should ask a question didn't matter as much, you know, to to the kind of brains that come to this environment. I think I should have. I could have just done it more often and not worried about it. So it was more trying to be a little bit more assertive or brave mm-hmm. in situations and not rushing around. Definitely. Taking a breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I deserved that breath, you know, mm-hmm. that I was allowed to have it and I was deserving of it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's a good piece of advice for everyone, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And also to be more loving and forgiving to yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, especially in, in post-grad, I think I had such a purpose and intention on campus. Um, I really had a community. I really had this thing that I was so heavily involved with, you know, with food insecurity on campus or really basic needs on campus and ensuring that people had access to everything that they deserved in the university, that when I graduated 
I was like, I wanted to take a step back from it because I think I needed it, but I also lost my sense of purpose in that. And, you know, it, it changes from being at UCLA to who am I in the city of Los Angeles? Who am I in the state of California? Who, what am I doing as a citizen that's, or so as a how person? how do you manage that? It was really hard. It was really, really hard, especially because, I mean, it's not like my situation changed. You know, I'm able to work more because I don't have class, but it's not like I'm not, things don't magically change once you graduate. Because graduating is so important or was so important to me and my family that it was, I didn't think much after it. I just knew I needed a break and I deserved mm -hmm. one and I wanted to take one for myself. So, so what did you do? Um, I farmed in Hawaii. for. Yeah. <laughs> I saved up to farm in Hawaii for a month um, on a coffee farm, which was awesome. But kind of, I think I'm kind of finally coming out of being in this point post-grad that I wish I was taught a little bit more about or just kind of mentored a little bit more in and being like it's could be confusing to not have as much of a purpose as you did when you're a student but that that's also really necessary to find what you love to do so as you transition is there um any challenge or problem that's sort of hovering over you that you want to continue to really work on and grapple with what is it that you're going to take with you in terms of this food justice or my involvement in food justice and community justice on campus and for students with families um, was really pivotal for me in order to be able to learn, you know, how things happen on a system-wide level or how things happen systemically. People don't have access to food in isolation. You know, it comes with your basic needs and housing and your education opportunities and, you know, your access to healthcare and tons of other things, um, and transportation and whether or not, you know, the city of Los Angeles is accessible to you depending on, can depend on whether or not you could afford a bus fare or an Uber, right? So I don't think if I had as much time really sitting in food justice and being able to kind of see or learn about how food justice is social justice and community justice and that they're not really separable, they're, they're one and the same, um, kind of gave me the knowledge I needed to want to pursue and learn more about other types of social justice, like environmental justice um, or education justice. Yeah, you're really touching on the fact that food, I mean, the food system itself has so many intersections with justice, starting mm -hmm. from how it's grown to prepared, delivered, and, mm -hmm. and eaten, and then discarded. So which part of that uh, it sounds like you're interested in a lot of different points of <laughs> too that. Too many, yeah. Well, not too many, never too many, especially at your, at your stage. I think at your stage, you know, you've got to sort of a, discover, right? Mm -hmm. This is the time. And it is uncertain when you have this these sort of transitions. It's mm -hmm. common to feel that way. So I guess one one question is where do you start seeing yourself hovering in that sort of line of food systems for justice. And then the other is, what kind of advice would you give others hmm. who are entering UCLA with, you know, interests in areas of wanting to do good and, and make mm -hmm. the world a better place? Um, I think I see myself moving really towards the, uh, like an environmental education lens. Simply learning about CalFresh made me embrace the fact that my family was on CalFresh and that knowledge empowered me to then be a change maker and I think I have the responsibility to kind of pass that baton so I I see that as kind of maybe my next step but also just 
learning my relationship with the earth more. And that kind of comes from the production end of food justice or side of, of food justice. And that's why I went to Hawaii and farmed, you know, was really able to be, I wanted to be able to see a food system outside of the urban farms in LA, really be able to see a community make their own food and learning more about that. And had that feel being in that Hawaii farmland. It was amazing for a lot of reasons. Um, I think it also showed me though, that there was, there's so much more I have to learn, you know, that there's, I'm going to spend my lifetime learning. And I think my advice to whoever wanted to do this work, that they already can, they already have the ability to be a change maker, whether or not it's they're initiating it, but also that they will also spend their lifetime learning things. So to, you know, embrace themselves and be humble and ask questions and um, also get off campus, I think. Uh, is very you're a, a, a university student. Yeah. It, what do you mean by that? You know, it just, it becomes a bubble. It becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You go to school, you go to library or party, depending on what day it is. And then you go to, you know, you go out to the dining halls or back home to lunch, or depending on if you're a commuting student or not. And I think for me, it was really volunteering off campus and taking the bus in the city made me know that I had a purpose beyond, I think that's helping me post-grad, knowing that like I have a purpose beyond just university so that when they leave, they can see the university contextualized, like within the wider community that we are UCLA because we are of Los Angeles and not kind of the other way around. Right. Um, Especially us, such a large urban mm -hmm. university in a large one of the largest cities in the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that could definitely get a lot. I mean, yeah, you don't have to leave Westwood if you didn't want to. That's right. Um, That's right. But I think you would have a skewed picture of the city and what it has to offer and what it does. And if you didn't right. leave. Yeah. It's really, those are really good points. Well, you know, Savannah, it's just such a pleasure. I have to say, knowing you and seeing you grow and talking to you and I feel like you're really continuing to be, you know, evolving into somebody who has and will continue to make a difference. Certainly have done it on campus and you see wide and I feel that I can't wait to see your next chapter in your life. It's going to be incredible. Thank you, oh my Wendy. Gosh. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm really blessed to have had spaces on campus that have supported me like HDI has or you know, like CPO has any other case, or the community programs office has having people and spaces that have supported me and given me kind of what I already had, but was like the power of believing in myself mm -hmm. and in the work that we do. Yeah. Well, right on. Yeah. Thanks, Wendy. Keep on chugging. <laughs> oh <my laughs> Onwards God. and upwards. Always. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to UCLA Live Well. For more information about today's episode and the resources mentioned, visit our website at healthy.ucla.edu backslash livewellpodcast. Today's podcast was brought to you by the Semo Healthy Campus Initiative Center at UCLA. To stay up to date with our episodes, subscribe to UCLA Live Well on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get to know us a little better and follow us at Healthy UCLA. If you think you know the perfect person for us to interview next, tweet your idea to us, please. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and we hope you join us for our next episode as we explore new perspectives on health and well-being.